0: Wealth Management SWAT podcast. This is episode 80, Monday, December 4th, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats, Insight, and Perspective for members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Blaine Disroot is here. He's a research analyst. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Jason Cooper joins us. He's a research analyst as well.
1: Hey, Danny. So we will kick off our episode, as always, thanking our listeners. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please share it with a friend or colleague. Uh, We really enjoy coming together, doing the prep on these, and then getting in the booth and actually recording these so with that we'll get into our economic outlook for this week so today we have manufacturing orders Uh, we had pmi orders on friday we got a read on factory orders they came in flat however with that being said it is some of the lowest readings we've seen in the last decade or so so we still are in this contractionary period with manufacturing we will also get on tuesday and wednesday and thursday And then Friday as well, quite a bit of employment. Uh, We'll call this Employment Week, if you will. So we get quite a bit of numbers on the labor market, where the labor market's at. Uh, Jolts coming up on Tuesday, ADP employment on Wednesday. And then Friday, we uh, for sure get the employment situation. So we'll be watching that closely. Uh, It'll be a good read as to whether or not this recent dovish talk from the Fed is uh, warranted or if there may be some pressure there that's still being applied from the labor market. With that, uh, let's jump into our strengths. Jason, you want to get us started?
2: Sure. So, I I guess the uh, the main thing to talk about is that the 10-year Treasury yield is down about 70 basis points from its high. Um, Usually, when we're talking about fixed income, we say yields down, bond prices up. But over the last month or so, it's really been yields down, all asset prices up. So, with respect to the S&P 500, through the month of November, you really saw real estate being the best performing sector. Uh, And it kind of makes sense, right? Because real estate tends to benefit from lower interest rates due to the capital intensive nature of the business. They rely on debt so much for funding. And then real estate names also tend to pay really high dividends. So when you have yields lower, the ability to secure that income through an equity paying a dividend it just becomes more appealing, especially because those cash flows can grow over time, whereas bonds, you, you know, you get your interest payments in return of principal, but no compounding.
1: Yeah, and I think what a big factor of that rate is you use that discount rate to discount back your valuations, and if that discount rate is coming down, those valuations naturally are going to go up, and with that you couple that with the fact that spreads tightened in November, which is very interesting to see when you have interest rates coming down in the manner that they did. I mean, 70 basis points on a 10 year in one month is a big move. And usually what you've seen historically is when that happens, spreads are usually widening because you have economic weakness or something's occurring in the economy or in the market that's causing, causing those yields to come down. And that's usually a deterioration of economic activity. However, what we're Actually, seeing get priced in there is that soft landing or no landing, if you will. That I think gave that that jolt to the equities that we saw to a degree. And Jason, I know end of October we talked about the the alligator jaws and those right. needing to to converge and bad breath, if you will, turned that around, right?
2: Yeah, Blaine. So when you mentioned the alligator jaws, what we were discussing was the performance of like the Magnificent Seven led S and P 500. So if you looked at the Magnificent Seven as an index, just through last week, you know, on a, on a year-to-date basis, it was up almost 100%. The S&P was up 20%, but the average stock was only up 5%. And this time last month in October when we were talking, the average stock was down 5%. So we've seen a nice rally, and what's been great about it is as, as those alligator jaws have closed, You know, maybe the Magnificent Seven are starting to roll a bit, but it's really been the lower jaw coming up, meaning that breath has improved. So if you look at, like, the New York Stock Exchange advanced decline line, that's putting in new local highs. On October 30th, we had 400 more stocks making uh, 52-week lows than 52-week highs. Now it's 100 more stocks making highs than lows. We went from only like 25% of the names in the New York Stock Exchange being above their 200-day moving average to 60% currently. So it's been a real flip from a breadth and participation perspective. So the average stock now has been doing pretty well.
1: Just seeing a good amount of data from the consumer that has also been strong. I mean, we, we saw what Black Friday and Cyber Monday did. Um the personal income numbers are are strong when you look at it you have real wages still still in a positive territory which is is good for the consumer good for the, the the general public and that showed up in those those sales that we saw going through black friday and cyber monday um jason i know you pulled down data uh, uh f- and it's actually coming from adobe which we as a team talked about how does adobe get all this analytics um so if you wanted to dive into that feel free
2: sure so they the adobe analytics saw cyber monday sales growing about 9.6% year over year areas of strength seemed to be more toys so like hot wheels mario kart toys gaming devices like xbox playstation 5 nintendo switch skincare is doing well small kitchen appliances and television but what we really saw was buy now pay later drove a, a strong Showing I guess you would say during the holiday season with buy now pay later sales increasing almost 45% year over year as consumers sought more flexible payment arrangements and what's what's interesting about that is if you look at the business models of buy now pay later companies They're really making these deals with the merchants. So the merchant is effectively sacrificing margin in order to drive sales whereas the cost of capital so isn't necessarily borne out by the the debtor. Like they're just paying a typical payment in installments over time. Just like our our own team. I mean, we have Trevor Nargis who decided to put his Chipotle burritos on, on buy now, pay later because he only wanted to pay a couple dollars a month. And it was a wise financial decision because, you know, he took that money and invested in our corn tactical portfolios. So good, good job on, on that, <laughs> Trevor. Big shout out.
1: I think what's interesting about it, right, is when you look at it, those buy now, pay laters aren't charging some exorbitant interest rate on it. It's just here's what the price is divided over what the payments are and you're not being hit with that interest charge. So it, it when rates are where they're at right now, it makes sense to potentially do that.
2: Yeah, and, and then just also speaking to the the strong consumer, Blaine. I think it was you that highlighted the TSA throughput on Thanksgiving was like the highest level ever. So the the desire to travel. I mean, maybe it was ephemeral with it being the holiday season, but it seems like the desire to travel is sticking.
1: The TSA numbers came in at the highest they've been in history. So we are officially back over pre-COVID levels of people getting on planes, flying, uh, and going on trips. And that's not just you know, families getting on planes to go places either. Businesses have actually picked up their business travel and gotten that back actually pretty close to online for a good chunk of businesses. For the most part, you have about 40% of smaller businesses doing what they used to do from a travel perspective for business travel. The other 60% haven't quite gotten back to that level, and I don't know if they necessarily will. So you do have that Permanent, you know, hit to travel, but a good chunk of that sixty percent has said they they're not doing travel. Not necessarily because they don't want to or don't think it's necessary. It's more from a cyclical outlook perspective and being cautious on their spending and trying to allocate dollars in an appropriate manner. So from the most part, you're you're getting back to this normal travel situation, and that's good from you know an economic perspective. But it also is to that consumer again, where we're seeing people travel and from what airlines have been saying is they don't have anything in their indicators that are showing like this drop off in travel coming. They're still right. seeing people come. They have the lowest cancellations on a on a Thanksgiving weekend that they've had before. So there's a good number of indicators there that are still showing that the consumer's being resilient.
2: And, and then I guess the final strength that we should point out from an economics perspective is just Chinese imports. So, you know, senior trader Ken Bellinger highlighted that dry bulk route rates into China, they've tripled. Um, So, you know, it's always hard to predict with China what's going on, and you can question the data. But these are prices that are being paid to import dry bulk shipments. So think about uh, imports, imports of coal, copper. Clearly, there's a demand for those commodities in the country. Who knows what they're doing with them, if they're actively using them for power generation, steel, production and, or if they're just hoarding them in warehouses, but there's demand. So maybe the Chinese stimulus, the long awaited for Chinese stimulus slash recovery is finally going to kick in. But I guess that's kind of a good segue to weaknesses because you wouldn't know it by looking at Chinese stocks and they're down 10% for the year. They're not catching a bit at all. Now I always just try to check out what Alibaba is doing because I think it's got about a third of its market capitalization in just net cash on its balance sheet. And despite being such a large international business, it's trading out like mid single digit price to earnings multiples and yes, it's a Chinese name. And there are certain risks with that, but it's effectively been left for dead. I mean, Todd Voigt, our chief investment strategist, keeps on highlighting that there's blood in the streets over there, but uh, there's a lot more blood now than when he started saying it. I mean, they're really bleeding.
1: Yeah, and like the stimulus packages that they've tried bringing on board haven't quite caught traction. They're they're trying, right? But some are saying it's not enough. Others are saying it, you, it's just there's a systematic issue that's going and playing through with the whole debt situation that was occurring uh, in the real estate market there. So it there'll be a time, right? If if the governance of that country is appropriate and allows for the investments, but you're also seeing tensions continuing to build between the U S and, and China. There's been some reprieve, but we just threw on some new, uh, restrictions there recently. So it, it's interesting to watch and to know to your point, Jason, like on a, on certain companies or certain areas of the market that have very attractive valuations, um, Will you actually be rewarded for making that investment, given given the situation that you're playing with there? We talked about the Magnificent Seven, but there there was some loss of strength there, right? And the fact and it's not really it's more relative strength where just the the bottom part of the market or the the smaller companies in the market really started catching up, or in the S and P five hundred, uh, not necessarily small caps specifically, but just as a whole, the, the Magnificent Seven uh, on a relative basis didn't quite perform as As the rest of the market did
2: yeah i mean there are a few of them that i guess their chart patterns are deteriorating right but it's more like i think we mentioned earlier the bottom jaws coming up to meet the top one versus them meeting in the middle or the top jaw collapsing downwards
1: yeah and i mean the other aspect or the other weakness that we had highlighted or wanted to highlight today was the fact that the dollars weakened and a main driver of that has actually been what our strength was before, which was that rates have come down. So, when rates are coming down, that dollar is weakening, um, given the fact that you have rates in other places of the world that might not have changed in the same manner. Uh, and you can have that carry trade uh, if you're dealing currency and FX trading there.
2: A year ago, the broad weighted dollar index was at about 114, and now it's 103. So, it's been a bumpy ride, but ever since the the beginning of October when yields started coming down from when the five-year was effectively 5%, we've seen a corresponding sell-off in the dollar.
1: We've talked about it. If rates continue to come down, that'll be a continued pressure on the dollar and uh, potential for dollar weakness there, depending on what other countries are doing with their rates. I think we can, from there, segue into our opportunities. Um, Jason, you have been watching and monitoring the healthcare sector quite closely here recently. And there's quite a few different companies that have either made a splash here recently or just have been doing doing well um, coming out of what the, the lower rate environment has kind of provided us here.
2: It's been a bumpy ride. I, I mean, a lot of these companies were tremendously over-earning during the pandemic. Then all of a sudden inventories got overstated. So we've had these massive inventory drawdowns now it looks like some of those inventory moves are making their way through the life science channel. So those those companies have become more challenged, I guess, with respect to a forward sales guidance. But net-net, you've had a sector basically not participate at all on a year-to-date basis. Many of these names are actively actually flat since 2021, despite their normalized earnings power improving tremendously, the quality of their franchise improving. Uh, their balance sheets improving, and finally, it's starting to look like the trading is improving as as well. We always say, you know, depending on who it is on the team, trading can be fifteen to fifty percent of the the investment discipline. But the stars finally seem to be aligning, and it, it it's supported by what we're seeing. You know, the companies are in deal making mode. AbbVie's acquiring Immunogen for like ten billion dollars to get access to antibody drug coagulants to treat cancers. Humana and Cigna are looking to merge. For me, you know that type of deal-making environment, the companies are saying multiples are low, let's get active. And if they're saying that, maybe soon you'll start to see shareholders say that and buy, a, buy up the companies as well. It certainly seems like it's taking place from a trading perspective.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to watch, right? You have a group of companies, like a sector like healthcare, doing well from an earnings perspective, yet the the valuations coming into or coming out of COVID, right, probably pushed them to a level that was elevated, and all the while now earnings have essentially caught up to where those valuations were, but the price action wasn't necessarily there, and now you're seeing that you're getting that attractive valuation showing up again with the idea that if you're looking at that from an opportunity standpoint, there's room for multiple expansion going forward, as well as the earnings um, continuing to expand.
2: Yeah, well well said. And then, Blaine, we were just talking about the energy sector being an opportunity, I think, prior to hopping on this this recording. So what, what were we seeing out of OPEC Plus last week?
1: Yeah, so they agreed to do cuts, but it was a contentious agreement. Uh, Saudi Arabia, as usual, is leading the discussion, wanting to cut their production. And you have other members that don't necessarily want to. And so while there was an agreement, the execution of that agreement, I think, is coming into question and whether or not we'll actually see that cut happen. The reason that you kind of look at that from an opportunity standpoint, right, is there's likely to be cuts. Um, As a committee, they agreed to it. All the while you have oil has kind of gotten to a point where it's sold off to a degree. With that being said that production cut and the fact that we have as a country, we've depleted part of our petroleum reserve. There's still like this, these floors of demand that are out there. And that helps apply that, that, that margin of safety, if you will, if you're looking to find an opportunity uh, on the downside uh, with that that automatic buyer from the strategic petroleum reserve at some point.
2: Yeah, so it seems like there's a floor under the price of oil. And, and just like in the healthcare sector, there have also been so many deals just over the last couple of months announced. It just goes to show how cheap some of these businesses are. I think that was exemplified last week when you had Elliott Capital Management, they're they're an activist hedge fund. They went in, they have had exposure to Phillips 66, which is a refining company. And they basically just came out with a public letter and said, you guys have been poor operators. Your stock is really cheap. You need to take action or we'll take action on your behalf as activist shareholders and you're trying to get a couple board seats. And I mean, the stock just ripped is, I guess, all you can say about it. For, for a boring old refiner company to, to move like 5% back-to-back days with the price of oil weak was pretty impressive. So it, it's one of those cases where the price isn't serving as a catalyst, but there are other catalysts that can emerge even if prices stay low just because these companies are at such a valuation discount to where they historically trade with that positive or supportive price fundamental baked into the cake. I agree with you there. I think
1: with that being said there, you know, we can work into our threats here. And the fact that you have seen rates come down as much as they have, but you haven't seen spreads widen out at all, you are pricing in an environment that is that quote unquote, somewhat Goldilocks situation where you have A a market that's anticipating what wouldn't be a default cycle, yet we've already been starting to enter one, if you will. We've seen default rates increase from virtually 0 to 3% in the high-yield market and over 4% in the loan market. The trajectory and the trend of those is on an upward path, yet you have spreads near, I wouldn't say historical lows, but definitely in some interim lows that we've seen, and it's almost pricing in, to a degree, limited defaults going forward.
2: Yeah, it seems like the market is just discounting this perfect soft landing scenario. Historically, you know, following these unprecedented rate hikes, it would be abnormal to not have some type of degradation to the economy and a corresponding cut. So I guess maybe said more simply a harder landing. But the market's already been, I guess, pretty optimistic with respect to that not happening just on a valuation basis. But you couple that with the market's response by its very nature makes the Fed's mandate more difficult to achieve. We started off with strength, which was yields down, asset prices up. Well, asset prices up increases the wealth effect. People that feel wealthier have a higher propensity to consume. Consumption is demand more demand without a corresponding increase in supply could lead to higher prices now there are areas where it seems like the path of prices like a uh, multifamily housing is on a glide path downwards and that'll start to manifest in in lower cpi on a go forward basis but it, it's almost like the fed is uh, causing like a tug of war with respect to their mandate just by allowing financial conditions to ease as much as they have
1: Yeah, and it's interesting having the members come out and talk the way they did last week, more or less with a dovish tone, the rhetoric of higher for longer, we're not going to cut right away, et cetera, et cetera. All the while, the market continues to almost discredit that uh, with rates moving the way they have, and then the fact that spreads continue to be as tight as they are, and then having valuations where they are, having those financial conditions ease, just to your point, Jason, is in the absolute opposite direction as to what the fed is anticipating um it's almost like they they had their victory lap or have it right Right. now and it's going to get a bit more rocky going forward Uh, we're kind of in that sweet spot and monitoring that and knowing how the fed or how the markets are going to react as the economic data might turn to a degree uh, will be very interesting to watch Let's wrap our podcast with
0: our headlines. What's our headline strength this week?
2: Yields down, asset prices up.
0: Headline weakness.
2: Will the Magnificent Seven continue to be magnificent?
0: Headline opportunity.
1: Underperforming sectors are poised to churn.
0: And besides the Chipotle buy now, pay later.
2: Right. Yes,
1: that is. I mean, that's Trevor. (laughs) Right.
0: And our headline threat. Can the Fed stick the landing? Episode 80, Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Blaine Disrud, research analyst. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.